Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Tempcast, episode number 10. Today, I'm joined by Eric. Hey, guys. Glad to be in double digits, finally. And now, our new podcast regular, Stephen. Hey, everybody. And our new special guest, you might have heard of him before, Jordan Ryry4. How's it going? Glad to see Stephen finally got that promotion he's been vying for. Yes, let's play, please all clap for uh, Jordan coming to our podcast finally. So today, we are starting off with the biggest news this week. I think a lot of people have been waiting for this for quite a long time. Nintendo has finally localized or is planning to localize the original Fire Emblem game. That's right. It's coming to the West. Finally. So, for this occasion, we got our resident Fire Emblem nut, Jordan, on the podcast. Now, Jordan, what do you think (laughs) about this? Like, I know you're a big Fire Emblem fan. I mean, you keep posting about it on the temp. Oh, yeah, constantly. Well, first of all, my favorite Fire Emblem game is uh, Smash Bros. I've actually not played any Fire Emblem game ever, but I am a fan of retro gaming, and I think it's really cool that this kind of landmark... NES game is finally coming to the West. I know, like you mentioned, people have wanted it for ages. So it's really cool that it's coming. I'm definitely going to pick it up and see what I've been missing out on. So I think it's worth pointing out that this game has already kind of come to the West before. This game was remade on the DS as uh, Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon, which was released over here. So it's really just the original NES port that's never uh, come over before. And there has been a fan translation of it around since 2011. Interesting. But never anything official. No, I mean, unless you count the DS remake, which changed the gameplay, but the story was mostly the same. I imagine the reason they're doing this is because they already have a translation laying around for it, right? That would make sense. The Fire Emblem games are kind of weird with their remakes anyway, because, like, so there was this original one with Marth, and then the second one was, like, a side story that took place at the same time as the first one. And then the third one was half remake of the first game and half sequel to it. And none of those came to the West, but they remade the second one as Fire Emblem Echoes a little while ago on the 3DS. They remade the first one as Shadow Dragon on the DS. Those both came to the West. And then they remade the second half of the third one, which was a sequel to the first on the DS also. But that also is still Japan exclusive. That never came to the West. The thing that's interesting about this is the fact that it's different than just, you know, a remake for the DS or 3DS is that it is the original and the remakes do change stuff. So for the purists out there, this is the most legal English way to play the game. So I'm a little surprised that it took this long. Well, actually, never mind. Scratch that. This is Nintendo. I'm not surprised at all that it took this long. But $6 for an old Nintendo game? I think that's I think that's par for the course. So, you know, I'm not super excited about it because I knew that, you know, there's, you know, really easy ways for me to play it anyway. But, you know, now everybody in the West can play it in its original glory in order to expand upon the greater Super Smash Brothers lore, which is what we all care about Fire Emblem for. I think that this game is also generally considered to not be very good. <laughs> I think it's worth pointing out. I think <laughs> Shadow Dragon is usually considered a lot better or the SNES remake. Also, you said this is the most legal way to play it. Is there anything... There's not anything uh, dubiously legal about fan translations, are there? I mean, acquiring the ROM is, I understand that, but I think patching it would be, if you have a legally acquired ROM. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about, yeah, getting the ROM. Yeah, but it's unofficial. It's Yeah, I get that. As you know, it's also dubious, like, the law... It's like, oh, 
can you get the ROM if you own the game? It's like, yeah, no, nah, eh. you know, I, we don't have to get into that. But this is clearly there's no there, there's no nothing shady about giving Nintendo money to receive the uh, game. Watch that quote get taken out of context and people yell at me later like, did you just say there's nothing shady about Nintendo? <laughs> yeah, well, it's not just releasing as a six dollar digital game. It also comes with a $50 collector's edition, which comes with a lot of stuff, but doesn't include the cartridge to the game. It comes with a digital code. So that's quite interesting. Now you pay $50 for this collection with a bunch of stuff like artwork and I don't know what else is in the collector's edition. There's like a replica NES box. Yep. And then I think a replica NES cartridge, but it's not an actual cart. They didn't make a new NES game in 2020 or a a new cartridge for an old NES game in 2020. It's just a replica, kind of like with the Sonic Mania Collector's Edition. There was that statue of Sonic standing on a Genesis, but it wasn't actually a Genesis. And there was a Genesis cartridge for Sonic Mania, but it just had a replica of one of the rings in it. Something like that. Mm. Yeah, cool. So another thing that's very interesting about this release, but it's really <laughs> not that surprising coming from Nintendo, is this is, once again, another timed exclusive from Nintendo, we all remember how Super Mario All-Stars, 3D All-Stars that is, released and it's gonna be available only up to March. So it seems that this game as well is gonna be available for purchase only until March 31st, which is an interesting choice. Do you guys think that Nintendo is doing this on purpose in order to get like more sales for this game? What do you think? What's the point of this artificial scarcity? I mean, it almost has to be just a sales tactic because, I mean, I was talking in our group chat about how I hated the box art for the physical run of 3D All-Stars. But the second it said limited run, I, of course, ran and pre-ordered a copy because, oh, it's limited. I have to have it. So... It works. Wow. Yeah, it's clearly one of those things of artificial scarcity. It's like we see it with the pre-orders of the, you know, of all the consoles and then a bunch of other physical games. But the fact that this is a digital thing, they could keep it up forever. But they're like, no, if you have to get it now, so you have to get the Switch now. You gotta, you gotta download the game now, so that. You know, this way you're not thinking, oh, I'll get it eventually. By by putting that deadline on there, they're for they're sort of making you have to uh, go and grab it if you want to grab it. I don't like that at all. That's one of those things that really bothers me. Uh, same thing, like you guys said for 3D All Stars. But then that earlier, the earliest that I remember Nintendo doing this, and they've probably done it previously to that was. The Four Swords game for the 3DS, which there's still no other way to... Oh, was it for the 3DS or for the DS? I think it was for the 3DS. I think it was DSi. Was it DSi? Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so yeah, so let's call it in the middle of that. But yeah, you still can't get that anymore, I don't, I don't think. Nope. So it's just one of those really frustrating things where it's like, okay, maybe it's profit-friendly, but it's not very consumer-friendly. And I realize that the point is to make a profit, but you have to sort of balance it, in my opinion. And I don't know. I'm not a fan of these timed exclusives, especially when they're just digital games. Do a limited physical release, whatever. It's the same thing as the Disney Vault thing that Disney's been doing for ages. Like Exactly. Which, you know, I assume it's a proven method because Disney's been doing it so long and now Nintendo's jumping on, but it is kind of crappy. So when 3D All-Stars was announced, we um, were kind of speculating that maybe after that exclusivity period, they would start being sold individually on the eShop. 
And I think this game will probably end up on the NES Nintendo Switch Online service where there's a collection of NES games you can download. Because the Japanese version is on the Japanese equivalent of that service, but we don't have it over here. And this game comes with all of the features that that service includes, like um, safe states and rewinding and stuff like that. So I feel like they're going to sell it at 6 bucks and then take it down and then six months to a year later just throw it up on the service for everyone, <laughs> which would be kind of crappy, but it seems just Taylor custom made for that right now. <laughs> you know, that makes sense. And I was actually wondering why they were doing a buy it release at all instead of using this to push Switch Online numbers just so that you could play it on the included NES games. So that would make sense. Yeah, I, I think so. Like I said, it's on the Japanese one, so I'd say it'll move over. It's the same thing they did with Star Fox too. They used that to push the Super Nintendo Mini, and then now that's on the Nintendo Super Nintendo online for the Switch. It would make sense, assuming they're not going the Four Swords route and just nixing it forever. But um, you're, you're right. They do have sort of... It's like... it's like I wouldn't say it's a 50-50 shot, but I don't think that we can guarantee that this is going to uh, be available in the future. Oh, definitely not. You can't be sure with anything Nintendo does. Yeah. So you mentioned save states and rewind functions. This might be an unpopular opinion. I actually don't know. But personally... When when you're buying these old games, I don't think I don't like the fact that they let you do save states and rewind features. Like I understand <clears throat> if you have an emulator that has that inherent in it, you know that you can do that if you want. But if you're buying it and you want the most authentic experience, don't use that. Like you know, I got the uh, original Nintendo playing Super Mario Bros. all the time, and I still I'm like I no, at no point do I want to save and rewind and do all of that it's like that's not the genuine experience but that's just sort of my own personal thing i'm curious about what you guys think about save states uh and rewind functions on official games so here's the thing about old games i might be wrong about this but i'm pretty sure that back in the day making hard difficult segments in games was like an artifact from the arcade days where you had to pay like a like a quarter and then you die and then you have to pay another quarter so games were difficult because that's just how you make money with arcade games so i i think that type of game design went ahead with the console generation of gaming that went after that and i think that's like an artifact of that period so in RPGs, I don't. I think Fire Emblem is an RPG, or is it like a real-time strategy? I, I've never played Fire Emblem games. Tactical. It's a turn-based strategy. Tactical turn-based strategy. So it's like an RTS, right? Uh, well, it's turn-based, so it's not real-time. I suppose that this game has a lot of grinding in it. So where like you have to spend a ridiculous amount of time to level up your players, and then. Only then can you like pass through to the next level or the next boss. Is that is that is what I'm saying right or am I? Uh, it could be. I've never played this original one. Like Fire Emblem in general isn't bad about grinding, but it again I haven't played the very original one, so I'm not sure this one might be like that. Because I've played a lot of old school RPGs, some like you know uh, Chrono Trigger, Trials of Mana, uh, Golden Sun, a lot a lot of classic jrpgs and i have used not necessarily save states but i have used 
fast forward functions in the game, like making the game 3x faster. You can only beat like a boss if you're like a specific level and the only way you can get to this high of a level is by grinding. And I don't want to like waste 20 hours of my day just leveling up my character to play in this 30 year old game and just to finish it. I'll, I'll just fast forward it and, you know, grind up my character within like half an hour. So that's what I do. I know a lot of people are going to hate me for this, but I think in our day and age, it really makes sense to have those capabilities in these old retro games, because otherwise I think a lot of people would be turned off by the idea of, you know, spending a ridiculous amount of time leveling up your character or, you know, trying to get through a level and this last save point was three levels behind. So yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. Like I, 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 I understand where Eric's coming from. That is not the authentic experience, and I don't necessarily want to say like, well, you can just ignore it and not use it because having it there does impact your ability to play the game. Like you might give in, and you know there is sort of a temptation to always use a save state or a rewind or whatever if you really don't want to do something, and that could impact it. But I, I still like that these features are in because. At the end of the day, emulators have them. I, I don't like the idea of you getting a ROM from wherever and then being able to put it into an emulator and get more functionality than you would out of the official release of a game. That's kind of why I like that they're putting this in. And they've done similar things, like the Final Fantasy uh, re-releases like of 7 and 8 and 9. I'll have the fast-forward thing that Alan John was talking about, too. And So this is getting more and more common, even outside of services like this for NES and Super NES games. Yeah, I think this this people who want to safe scum their way just to experience the game, they're gonna do that anyway. So I it doesn't bother me much. I've never done anything like that. The closest I've came is when the Castlevania collection came out. I got it for the Switch, and then I used save states to help make uh, Simon's Quest more bearable. <laughs> uh, just saving in specific parts so that I did like before a boss fight so that if I did die I didn't have to redo the entire dungeon. Yeah. But I didn't save scum my way through the entire game. I just used it to make the experience a little more bearable cuz that game is not fun. No. <laughs> that this is why I'm glad that I asked this question because I think that you guys have actually changed my mind. <laughs> like like <laughs> I no I wasn't feeling very strongly about it, but uh, I figured I'd ask about it. I I I wasn't even considering the fast forwarding thing because I actually do do that sometimes with older RPGs. Uh, I was more talking about reversing time and save states. Whereas I think that if you speed it up, that's fine, uh, especially for really, really grindy RPGs and the like. But yeah, I guess I guess it is one of those things where you don't want more functionality to come out of an emulator. So I think... I think I agree with all of you guys. I was just going to say, like, I, I do think it's easy enough to ignore. Like I, like I said before, I understand there is somewhat of a psychological pull sometimes where, like, you might want to experience something a uh, very specific way. And then if you have that there, it can sort of nag at you and make you want to give in. But thinking back on it harder, I've played games like XCOM doing Iron Man runs, and I've never, you know, there are ways to save scum around that. And I haven't ever done it. Uh, with Fire Emblem, I'm always very, very particular about not letting anyone die, and I've never saved scummed around to that, which has made those games like 10 times longer for me than they should be. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's easy enough to sort of ignore those pulls. It just occurred to me, I was probably projecting a little bit over there because I have saved scum before to get certain trophies and achievements in games. In most of <laughs> I did it in Odd World New and Tasty where you could just press the the button on the, the, the middle button on the PS4 to uh, to 
save and reload the game and I abused the shit out of that. So what am I talking wow. about? What am I talking about? Okay. Wow. I'm sorry guys. The I'm truth comes Eric, out. You need to delete that platinum from your account. <laughs> you did not earn it legitimately. <laughs> <laughs> but I did because I used all the in-game functions. But yeah, no, mm. that's funny. See, that's the thing is I, I was like if that game didn't have that ability, I wouldn't have felt tempted to save scum. But because it did allow me to do that, I was like, well, the developers say that it's okay, so I assume that it's okay. Yeah. So that that's that's funny. Yeah. I, I'm one of those people who who it's like, I'm I'm preaching what I think is sinful, yet I am committing this. <laughs> <laughs> like, you guys shouldn't be safe scumming. I'm uploading my save to the cloud, and I'm also uploading <laughs> my USB drive, and I'm storing it on my computer. I'm like, you guys are, you guys are horrible. I- <laughs> wow, you sound like an American. <laughs> this podcast just got so patriotic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Some games are like, you have to get to the good ending, and then you have to get to the bad ending, so you gotta play through the game twice. I'm like, no, I'll just play through the game once, and I'll just keep... <laughs> shifting the the save so yeah Ugh, yeah being a fit uh, see that's the thing i don't play games for fun i play them uh for a little little pieces of dopamine called trophies so you're an addict i am i am so that's interesting though that you brought up Oddworld because that functionality is in that game originally like that's a new game you could make an argument that it's a little different for something like fire emblem that you know those kinds of safe states and rewinding wasn't possible when that game was made and so the original developers couldn't have a say in it being made, put in now, but I still think, I don't know, I still think a lot of those, the same points hold up even outside of that. If it opens up these kind of more difficult retro games for people to actually experience too, I don't really mind it. As long as people are enjoying these older games, let them enjoy it how they want. And if that means safe scumming their way through, then sure, go for it. Yeah, if people want to be scrubs, let them, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't affect our gameplay uh, experiences for it. Yeah, you know, it just makes me look better by comparison because I'm <laughs> tough and I do it, you know, legit. Yeah, people like us who don't use save states. You know, <laughs> real, real, real gamers like like me and you. Yeah, and, yeah. And, but especially me. Congratulations on your 94 uh, ill-gotten trophies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so one thing I wanted to mention is that this isn't the first time Nintendo's actually bringing an old NES game and giving it to us in the West. They've actually done the same thing with a little game, don't know if you heard about it, called Earthbound. (gasps) Mother One actually came to the US, well, you could say just the West, Yeah. In a format of a virtual console game, if I recall correctly, titled as Earthbound Beginnings. Now, people are speculating, maybe, just maybe, who knows, Nintendo looks at this, looks at the success of localizing a game 30 years after it's been released, and try to do the same thing with Mother 3. Now, what do you guys think? Is this possible, or... Is Nintendo not interested in that at all? I just want to say Earthbound Beginnings was released in 2015. They've had five years to look at the success of that. <laughs> I, I don't know. Because <laughs> that, that was everyone's first thought when they announced Earthbound Beginnings was that Earthbound 2 or Mother 3 or whatever it'll end up being called was right around the corner. And I bought Mother or Earthbound Beginnings specifically for that, but 
Nothing ever materialized. They haven't mentioned Mother 3 since. <laughs> so I'm still skeptical. Yeah, because Earthbound Beginnings wasn't a timed exclusive. They should have made it available only up to August. He's right, you know. If something is on the Wii U, that makes it more exclusive than being a timed <laughs> exclusive, I think. <laughs> if something is on the Switch for one month versus on the Wii U for five years, it'll sell more on the Switch in that month. <laughs> I just want to remind our listeners, we finally hit 300 subscribers on YouTube, so let's clap for that. Please clap. Thank you guys so much for subscribing to our YouTube. If you're not subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Also, leave us a like, and if there are any topics you want us to discuss on the next episode of the TempCast, please be sure to write it down in the comments. With that, we are going into our next segment, now titled Small Things. Half of our listeners don't even get that Blink-182 reference, but... Oh, I got the Kids Bop reference. <laughs> <laughs> the true deep cut. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's some episode zero stuff right there. <laughs> that's You should never, You guys never heard that sh- Oh, yeah, I will release it after we hit, let's say, 100 episodes. How does that sound? Can you release it as Tempcast Beginnings? You release it as a timed exclusive. <laughs> It will be a timed exclusive, yes. <laughs> First thing in our small things category is Google Stadia developer suggests that streamers should be paying developers. Now, this comes from Alex Hutchinson, and I'll read his two Twitter posts that have sprouted this controversy on the internet. First post goes like this. Streamers worried about getting their content pulled because they used music they didn't pay for should be more worried by the fact that they're streaming games they didn't pay for as well. It's all gone as soon as publishers decide to enforce it. The real truth is the streamers should be paying the developers and publishers of the games they stream. They should be buying a license like any real business and paying for the content they use. Now, I don't see anything wrong with this. I mean, he's saying the truth, I guess. Does anybody disagree with me? <laughs> um, I guess I was following it on Twitter uh, as it was kind of unfolding a few a day or two ago. And while nothing he's saying is necessarily wrong, because legally, yeah, the developers and publishers have all rights in the world to just shut streaming down, but they don't because they figure the benefits outweigh uh, the potential negatives of someone using their game to make money. Just look at like Among Us. That game's been out since what, 2018? And now it's the biggest game in the world because people started streaming it. I think the problem I had with this guy is that he refused to look at any type of positivity about streaming unless he's getting his cut of the like 250 that a Twitch streamer gets from their subscriber. It, it just felt very, very like I need money, which I mean, look at how the stadia is doing. Maybe that's why he, uh, maybe that's why he wants his cut. But I think the part that made me kind of laugh is that Google's PR put out a couple statements about how, uh, this developer, his, his views aren't representative of ours. We love the streaming community. And then he changed his Twitter bio from creative director at Google Stadia to creative director at SG&E Montreal Studio and hasn't tweeted since this whole meltdown. So I think he got put in timeout. Yikes. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> My whole thing with the streaming thing is for a lot of indie games, it's a great way for them to get exposure. 
And apparently, I a lot of uh, indies will attribute a lot of success to streamers. And I get it for games that are very like heavily gameplay based, like you were saying, Among Us is something you can keep playing. The only time I ever have an issue with streamers is something that's is like RPG, something that's very heavily story based. Yeah, and that was one of Alex Hutchinson's uh, arguments too, is that oh, you bought a Blu-ray copy of this movie, you can't go screen it and make a profit off of that. While that's true, I think he's being disingenuous because for a movie, the only type of interactivity you have is watching it. So if someone puts the movie up on Twitch, you're getting the full experience. Even with an RPG, watching someone play through it doesn't give you a one-to-one experience, you know? Especially with some bigger RPGs that have some choice-heavy plot lines where you might choose something different and see something completely new to you that you didn't see from the streamer so he's trying to treat it like a one-to-one comparison but i really just don't think it is yeah you're right the even rpgs do have the choice elements the one i'm thinking of is when persona 5 came out uh atlas cracked right. down hard on streamers and persona is a very linear rpg there's minor minor choices you can make but okay all the content is pretty much the same and there's no action to the gameplay. It is basically just menu navigation and watching cutscenes and reading dialogue. And like a lot of people got really mad at Atlas. I I was on Atlas's side for that. Like for 95% of games, I understand the streaming argument and I don't really have an issue with it. For something like that, where watching it basically is the experience, unless you're really into like the actual mechanics of the combat, which which is part of it, but you get a very, very significant part of the experience from just watching it. Yeah, I guess the example that comes to mind for me is like, say I were to boot up Twitch right now and start streaming Halo. Um, You would get all of the Halo lore and storyline just fine, but what you wouldn't get is the Halo gameplay, which personally I love. So you'd miss out on that, and hopefully from seeing how fun it hopefully looks, I mean, I love Halo, so I'm kind of biased in that opinion but from seeing how fun it would look you could then purchase the game and experience it yourself and you might not have had an interest in it if you didn't watch someone playing it first because you didn't know what to expect halo is probably a bad example for that specific but just as an example of something that's linear but the experience really is the gameplay not the story yeah no i totally agree with you there even if yeah because that is something where you're really playing it like i think there are very few games where that argument doesn't hold up i Persona 5 is one of the few, I think, like, like I said, that was just one that I remember being very controversial. People were really mad at Atlas for that, but I kind of agreed with them. Right. Yeah, and I guess even from a legal perspective, you can make the argument that uh, streaming is a transformative work if the person is doing commentary, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, good thing we have a legal expert, I mean, legal scholar here who could define streaming. Yeah, Eric, take it away. Streaming is good. It is fair use. You can stream your video games. What about my movies? No. Unless... What about music? I, uh... Yes, sometimes. Certain (laughs) situations. And not in others. Yay. Anyway, if we could do a throwback to a couple minutes ago when I was uh, <laughs> when I was talking about save states and how they're bad, even though I use them. It's funny because uh, I think Alex Hutchinson is the same person as me insofar as he's like, you know, you, you got to pay us to use our stuff like we created this. You're streaming it. You got to pay us for it. Yeah. If you go to his Twitter and if you go to like his banner, it's a Savage Planet banner and it's like some art. Uh, that art is from a streamer. 
right? But if you yeah, Jacksepticeye. Oh yeah, exactly. And if you if you click on it and then you look at the bottom, you can see that he cut off the watermark. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. So I didn't even notice that. I saw Jacksepticeye's tweet about it, but I didn't actually look at the banner. Yeah, it, you can see the the very tip of the watermark that just got cut off, which to Alex Hutchinson's credit, um, when you do a banner on Twitter, it automatically crops it to a specific aspect ratio, but he could have easily pinned a tweet like, Hey, banner credit, because I'm going to practice what I preach. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, well, here's the thing though. I'm giving him um, exposure. Like they're going to go to my thing. They'll get the exposure. And it's like, Oh, but that's different than when we just stream. It's it seems like what he did, even if it was unintentional, is to me, not from a legal perspective, but just from a personal perspective, worse than streaming a game and getting a custom experience. Because even for like games like Telltale games, where it's like almost all cutscenes, you know, like that's still playing that. Like watching like like PewDiePie play The Walking Dead um, is different than if you were to play it because you would make different choices. So, I mean, it's like it's like you guys are saying, it's not like a movie where you 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 watch it and you get the same experience, you know, if you're watching it via Twitch or if you're watching it, you know, via Amazon or whatever. What if it's like a Sony exclusive game, like a Last of Us or God of War? What I mean, that doesn't change it to me at all. I think that Your Sony shell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I get it. No, it does. It doesn't change it one iota. I don't think. I think that you should be allowed to stream it, and it's not the same experience that you get if you play it. I mean, yeah, I've watched gameplay videos and streams of people playing Spider-Man just because I'm a big Marvel guy, but I don't own a PS4, and it hasn't given me like a, oh, I'm satiated, I don't want to play Spider-Man anymore. It's actually the opposite, where I wish I had a PlayStation so I could experience this game. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how many of us actually watch streams. I know that I don't really watch streams just because... I don't know. It uh, They don't seem very fun to me to watch. But then again, I listen to podcasts and I think that is fun to watch, but I understand when or listen to and I understand that a lot of people don't. Obviously, nobody listening to this <laughs> hates podcasts <laughs> because you're 37 some minutes in. But <laughs> that's another argument is that people watch the streams for the personality that's streaming, not because they're playing Among Us or playing Persona. They're watching to see this personality that they like and they're impression slash what they kind of can do in the game so if alex hutchinson's studio is going to start enforcing this like no you have to pay us uh fees and royalties to use our games most streamers would probably just be like okay i'm gonna go to literally any other studio that isn't acting like this and see no change in my audience numbers and the fact that other studios aren't really doing this even though Legally, I think that they have the right to just take these games down. You're not allowed to stream our game. I think that they can do that. But the fact that they're not is showing that this has benefits, like business benefits to it, not just PR benefits, but like we're benefiting off of this. It's not one of those, oh, I'll pay you an exposure things. Well, it is kind of like that, but it's it actually means something. I think. I also like too in his initial tweet how he just kind of low key implied that all streamers pirate their games. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe he's talking about like Google Stadia because I think you don't actually have to own the game to play it. I might be wrong. I mean, I don't I don't know anything about Google Stadia, but isn't it like a subscription service where you pay 
a certain amount of money and then you could stream like any game in their library is it like that no you need to buy games piecemeal on uh, stadia you need to pay for the subscription and the game on stadia oh wow that's why stadia is failing yeah big time <laughs> wait a second yeah it just occurred to me if people are watching this or listening to this on youtube or spotify or whatever they're streaming it should they be paying us Hmm. I changed my mind. You guys should all pay us. <laughs> the easy way to do that is just by using uh, the code GBA Temp Tempcast for Raid Shadow Legends. Because oh no, come our on! New sponsor Raid no. Shadow Legends. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. They, I know for a fact, Raid Shadow Legends will sponsor with just about anyone, and they pay a lot of money. What if this turns into them actually wanting to sponsor the podcast? Are we gonna take that or? I'll take it. We. I'm not. I'm not gonna give any of you a cut. <laughs> yeah, sure. Eric Zander, he's the main guy for the podcast. Yeah, that's him. Yep. <laughs> he's the podmaster. He does everything. He does the editing. He does the distribution. He does he practically everything, really. He books yeah, our guests. So, I'm so humble about it that I even allow Alan John to do the intro and also keep his name in the middle. But this whole thing was my idea. <laughs> yeah, you're the one who who wanted to do a Tempcast revival. It was all you. It was. Yep. Yep. Eric actually created the term podcast, you know, before Joe Rogan and everybody else, really. Wow. Yeah. Look at you go. Look at me. I Yeah, see, I was I was kind of a early access member to it. Do any of you guys have any experience with any other sort of early access anything? Perhaps Jordan? Well, funny you mentioned that. <laughs> I just wrote a 2800 word review on an early access game. Oh, wow. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so I recently reviewed Baldur's Gate 3 in its early access form, which is a game I've been waiting since its initial announcement for. It was kind of one of those cases where it's like, so Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 existed, and then it kind of spun off into Dark Alliance. I always wanted a proper Baldur's Gate 3, and then so when they announced it, I was really hyped. And it's okay right now. They do a lot of stuff right. They do. There's a lot of issues that really kind of highlight, hey, this is uh, an unfinished quarter of the game. $60, please, which I didn't like and was my number one complaint. Yeah. $60 for an unfinished game is a lot. Like, I think if you're paying for the early access and paying to deal with all of the brokenness of it, I don't know. I think you should get some kind of discount. <laughs> I agree. I think a lot of my complaints about Baldur's Gate 3 would have ended up a little less bothersome to me if the game only cost, like, 30 to $45 for early access. Now, granted, anyone who buys the early access is, of course, going to get the finished product. So it's a lot like the developer Larian studios kind of likened it to just a pre-order, but you're pre-ordering it a year plus in advance and get access to it as it's in development. So if you look at it from that perspective, fine, but I still just don't like the idea of, Hey, pay us full price and we'll give you a quarter of the game, except the quarter of the game still isn't really like polished or finished. Wow. I think if you're going to charge that much, at least have the quarter be, as close to finished as possible with the disclaimer that obviously tweaks might get made to make it fit more in line with the final three quarters of the game as that development continues. Don't have the game cr crashing issues. Don't have the graphical clipping issues. Don't, don't make me wait 
five to ten minutes for a single enemy to make their turn. God, that bothered me. And so from that perspective, you can justify it. I think if you look at it from another perspective, though, you could see it as them asking people to pay them to be QA testers on their game. (laughs) Definitely, and I definitely see that perspective. Yeah, and... I don't know. How do you guys feel about early access in general? Because you can make the argument that if they're upfront about it and people know what they're getting into, then it's fine. But it it just I think charging that much for a game this early it it just feels skeevy to me. I don't. I mentioned this in my review that I think early access has its place, and I think it's a excellent tool to say, "Hey, intended audience and player base of this game." How about you play what's done now, and we can take your notes and opinions into consideration to uh, kind of influence the direction that the final game's going. I think that's a brilliant idea when you're not charging retail price for it. That idea has existed for a long time in the form of a beta. Right. I mean, how many games have had closed betas, get put it out in the world for two weeks, and then take everyone's notes and go back to work on it? You know, that's true. I guess for something like Baldur's Gate 3, where it's a story heavy RPG, it's a bit more beneficial to have it just out in the world in some form instead of just a two week closed beta type situation, just because there's so much. I mean, even in this one quarter of the game, they said there's like 25 hours worth of story content alone. So you definitely get content through this. It's not like it's two hours. Yeah. So definitely worth it, I think, to have it in an early access form. But yeah, I mean, like, and I mean, like Minecraft was early access for most of its initial popularity spike. And obviously it turned out well for them. Yeah, that's what I wanted to mention. I don't know any success stories with early access games other than Minecraft. Am I wrong? I, I guess I can't think of any off the top of my head. There have been others. Darkest Dungeon was an early access for a while before that. I'm trying to think. There, like, there are none that are as big as Minecraft, and there are ones that people seem to have kind of forgotten were in early access just because they did early access right, where it was a good product when it was released, and it was mostly functional. It just maybe needed, you know, some touching up here and there over a few months. Um, I'm trying to, Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I know Darkest Dungeon was one. I, I feel like there are others, but... I'm struggling to remember them right now. It's also hard, too, because so many games... Like, you really only get to launch once. So if you launch in early access, a lot of people aren't going to pay attention when you go over to, you know, a full release. Because you're already out there. And, you know, funny enough, on that note... So I mentioned this in the review as well. I have a D&D group in real life that I play with. And I've asked them if they were going to pick up, pick up Baldur's Gate 3, just because it is essentially the closest thing we have to a video game adaptation of D&D, at least in its fifth edition form. And one of them, who is a kind of big PC gamer, mentioned that he just doesn't have the money for it. And he saw all the issues that day one people were having and just decided, you know, I don't need to spend the money right now, especially when I don't have it, which... Sucks because a lot of those day one issues I think got patched out because I haven't experienced really any of them in the 20 something hours I've put into the game already. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess something else I wanted to bring up is take something like No Man's Sky that didn't launch in early access, but when it launched, a lot of people were really disappointed in it and felt that it was lacking content. And then over the last few years, they've made major updates to it, and it seems to be a completely different game now and it has a lot of content there's a lot of things to do and people who bought it are really happy with it it's essentially an early access story but it launched and like a lot of people aren't going back to no man's sky as i understand it like it had such a big profile that people are talking about it a lot but i don't know that i've 
heard anything about a significant increase in their players in their player base yeah it's one of those things where you shoot yourself in the foot at the beginning and no matter what kind of saving you do you still have uh your you know your foot's still shot it's one of those things where it's like yeah no man's sky can be great right now but after the initial disaster and whether or not that was their fault or whatever it it really set this set the tone when i think of no man's sky and i've never played it but when i think of it i think bad game even if yeah. it's not anymore it's just that's ingrained in me like with the xbox one when that was first announced like you have to always be online shot yourself in the foot there doesn't matter what saving you do it's just you now you're just trying to play catch up yeah you only get one first impression hopefully this doesn't define that game because it does have the potential to be a, a great game it's just i don't know maybe they shot themselves in the foot i hope they that they didn't though because yeah yeah <laughs> only time will tell <laughs> how do you guys feel also like i mentioned that earlier that no man's sky wasn't early access how do you feel about a lot of games that are launching now that do feel like early access games? Because like a lot of people said that about No Man's Sky, Street Fighter V famously didn't have a. I think it didn't have its full campaign when it launched. It was just an online mode because Capcom rushed it out to have it ready for Evo. There's there's been more and more stories of this happening lately, where games are getting these massive mega patches or launching with significantly less content than they used to, and it feels like mainstream you know AAA developers are putting out essentially early access games charging full price and not even marking them as in development. Do you guys feel that that's happening more and more? Like That bothers me more than a game launching in early access and charging full price, honestly, because at least in the Baldur's Gate 3 example, Larian Studios is super upfront, like, this is early access, there are going to be issues, we thank you for being here. At least they're owning that it's an early access game, unlike some of these other ones like you mentioned. That really bothers me. Yeah, like Game Freak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, we'll get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, it it almost does sort of make the early access label feel arbitrary. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. I would make the argument that the early access label doesn't really mean anything because as soon as they charge full price for a product and it's out there, it's out there. It's not really anything. Yeah. But especially when you compare it to all these other games that keep getting big mega updates. And I'm not talking about something getting, you know, DLC or. You know, like Smash Bros. got an additional fighters. That felt like a content complete game when it released. But right. But these other games, like I said, Street Fighter Five is the one that I keep thinking of that didn't even have a campaign when it launched. Like you mentioned DLC, that does remind me of when Mass Effect Three launched, and there was an entire mission and pretty story important crew member that you could recruit who was locked behind a DLC paywall unless you bought the legendary edition of the game on day one which really should have just been in the base game. So you yeah. got me thinking about that now. Um, and I guess to like Street Fighter and No Man's Sky's credit, at least they updated the game and I don't think charged any extra for the missing content there. No, I don't believe so. I mean, they've. I mean, Street Fighter Five probably had some paid fighters, but yeah, I think... Oh, I'm, I'm assuming Street Fighter V's got paid DLC, but not. I would hope it's not the story content. Yeah, yeah, I believe that was free. Although Street Fighter V also has ads in the middle of its fights and your characters oh my god i think like ryu can wear licensed ads from other companies <laughs> or something i don't know okay that's told. just hilarious to me speaking of certain companies having legendary editions of games where you get to play more and get all these bigger things is there anything where it's like you know you 
a mini version. Like, like you have the big version, you want a minier version. Is there any company out there? I don't know, Alan John. Maybe you know more about this. Where it's a company saying, "Hey, here's a here's a mini version of of our game." I don't know if that exists. Well, yes, indeed. Sega has actually released their mini Game Gears. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just joking. Dreamcast Mini when? <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about that shit. We're talking about the big guns, all right? The big boy players of the gaming world are releasing their new Mini Pong Junior console. That's what it's called, Mini Pong Junior. I don't know why the Junior is there. Is there like a Mini Pong Senior? Whatever. Atari has released this. Uh, I don't know why it's Atari. Atari didn't invent Pong, I think. Pong was on... Like its own system, even what was it even called? The the Odyssey? Oh, the Magnavox Odyssey? Might have been. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the Magnavox Odyssey's games were just a blue screen with controllable pixels. So yeah, there was a Pong version on it, but uh, after that, there were just dedicated Pong machines, and I think Atari had one of them, but they certainly didn't have the only one. If they did have one, yeah. So this mini console comes with a 7.9 inch LCD panels. That's actually bigger than I thought. 7.9. Wouldn't this make this like the same size as a Switch? Kind of looks like it though, even. It really does. So it comes with a rechargeable battery. That's nice. You can play either locally with your friends because got two controllers there, two knobs, or with an AI that comes with 10 different difficulty levels. Wow. That's amazing. Doesn't anybody care about this? I mean, if they don't charge $50 for it, I'll care about it. The Switch's screen is only 6.2 inches. What was this one? It was... Oh, so this is better. This is 7.9. This thing is way bigger than a Switch. Holy hell. This thing is clearly better than a Switch. Like... Clearly. (laughs) Steven says that, not me. Steven says, this thing is better than a Switch. I mean, it's got better games. (laughs) (laughs) We just lost half of our listeners. Okay. Or they stuck around to hear what else is going to trigger them. I, but I think, yeah, I'm I'm curious. I'm interested. I kind of like those these interesting little pieces of gaming that you can pick up. It's really going to come down to price for me. If it's like when Nintendo is going to charge 50 bucks for a Game & Watch that you can play Super Mario Brothers on, I'm just going to not care. But if it's, you know, cheap price to match how it's just kind of a neat little thing i'd probably pick it up if i saw it in a store for me it just seems like a lot of clutter but if, if you have the space to have something like that go for it i mean i have a whole office at work so i could just put it on my desk and every time someone comes in to try and talk to me about a video project i can just tell them well you don't get to talk to me until you beat me in pong <laughs> maybe i'll get one for the waiting room uh whenever <laughs> i get like a law office be like hey give this to your to your kid and then oh no because i'm not gonna get their fingers on it no i mean if I'm getting mini pawn, it'll be all for me, nobody else. It would have been more interesting if it actually came with like an HDMI cable, so you could connect it to your TV and use it like as a pawn console and play pong in 4K. So that would be that would be cool. That'd be pretty interesting. Because this form factor, it doesn't make sense to me. Like it's too big to put in your pocket, right? You couldn't even put it in your pocket because the knobs are so big. But it's not like a console. I guess it is a console. I don't know what it is. It it, it seems to be like an interesting thing to put on your guest table. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. It would definitely be a little awkward to like huddle two people around it and stare down at it. (laughs) I'm just waiting until it gets hacked 
And then you can play like Doom or like PlayStation <laughs> One games on yeah. it. Super Mario sixty four <laughs> or Skyrim, <laughs> Resident Evil four. Just all the all the port games end up on the Mini Pong Junior. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's actually extremely beefy. Uh, speaking of extremely beefy, I'm a little upset because, <laughs> I, you know, I woke up today. I didn't have any breakfast. I was like, all right, I'm going to go to McDonald's. I'm going to get the Travis Scott meal. I go there. They don't have it anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what? Travis Scott, what are you even doing? Does anybody know what Travis Scott is up to these days? Well, I'm going to blow your mind right now. Travis Scott just today announced a creative partnership with Sony to promote the PlayStation 5. Wow, guys, this is absolutely insane. I just I just have to get a PlayStation 5 now. I'm a big I'm a big sicko mode fan here. So, yeah, Sony, I've already put my pre-order. It's up. I mean, give me that console right now. Eric, your thoughts? <laughs> Resident Sony shell? Uh, get a PS5 when it when you want to get a PS5, or don't get it if you don't want it. Uh, Jordan, you're a big hip-hop fan. What do you think about this partnership? <laughs> I mean, just from a perspective of, let, let, let's be real, Travis Scott anything just kind of prints money. Yeah. You look at the Travis Scott... McDonald's meal. He had his. He had a box of Reese's Puffs at one point. I think he did. He did that concert in Fortnite that everyone went crazy for. So he's kind of already known for these interesting promotional things that just work. So I'm not surprised. But uh, if there's two things I don't follow, it's hip hop and the PlayStation. So I know a lot about this. <laughs> Yeah. So, yes, because you mentioned Travis Scott prints money. I then opened up the Sony stock price and it has gone up 1.11% as of yesterday. I dedicate all of that, all of that to Travis Scott. And that's the thing. The market was in a downturn yesterday. So the fact he had to fight his way to the top. Sony's stock price went sicko mode. (laughs) I'm just waiting for the people walking into Best Buys and GameStops, and they're like, oh, what can I do for you? And they just start playing Sicko Mode and say, you know why I'm here. <laughs> Give me the loot. Yeah, it's also <laughs> funny because McDonald's stock price dropped a little bit <laughs> in the same time. <laughs> so I think this is Sony's answer to Microsoft's ZeniMax acquisition. I mean, okay, yeah, Xbox has Skyrim. It's got Elder Scrolls. It's got Fallout. Yeah, but... Sony's got Travis Scott. So what are you going to do now, Microsoft? Who needs an exclusive Fallout or Elder Scrolls game when you have Travis Scott on your side? I mean, really? This doesn't make sense to me. Like, why? I mean, it does make sense to me, but why are we talking about this? Who cares? (laughs) Uh, Kids who listen to Travis Scott, I guess. I mean... Are there like hip hop fans? Like, how many hip hop fans are there who are potential PlayStation Five buyers? They're like, ah, shit, I don't know. I was gonna say I'd wager a lot. Yeah, what are you talking about? No, I mean, I'm of course, but I mean, how many of them would be turned to the PlayStation Five after this announcement? Like, who was thinking, hmm, maybe should I get the Xbox or the PlayStation? Well, oh shit, Travis Scott, sign me up. It's a good point, actually. <laughs> uh, me, for one. So, nah, I'm just, I don't know. Resident Sony shill at it again. <laughs> at it again. Yeah, I'm really expecting how Microsoft going to answer to this. Are, are they going to get, like, Kanye? Are they going to get Drake? Or are they going to go, I don't know, alternative and get Radiohead? 
to promote like their <laughs> Xbox. That would be awesome. Well, it, oh, dude, I'd buy an Xbox then. It won't be Kanye because he's going to be busy running the country when he wins on November 3rd. Exactly. <laughs> uh, wait, we can't get too political on this podcast. I mean, whoops. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I do wonder what Microsoft is doing because Travis Scott is the big news. I guess they're doing something with a streaming stick. I don't know. I don't think that it can beat this Travis Scott news, but I guess it's something interesting to talk about. Have you guys heard of the uh, streaming sticks that Xbox has been talking about lately? Yeah, so it, it seems that xCloud, Microsoft's streaming service is going to be available on streaming sticks you know those things that you buy and you connect to your tv and stream stuff like uh, i don't know movies netflix hulu whatever i don't do that stuff i'm old school you know you know what i mean <laughs> no, i'm saying so uh, x cloud is going to be available to play on your television even if you don't have like a smart tv if you own like a roku i mean this is what phil spencer is teasing we don't know anything about this yet, officially speaking, but this is what they're teasing. Um, so, yeah, that, that's cool. Cool to know that, you know, as long as people get uh, more people get access to Xbox's exclusives, the better. The sooner we'll forget about, you know, the next Elder Scrolls being an Xbox exclusive. That's what I'm saying. So I know we kind of talked about Stadia already. I guess I don't. Exactly. No, doesn't it work through like its own streaming stick, like a Chromecast, where you just stream games via that device to your television and then play them? Yep. So essentially, Microsoft's just doing their own Stadia, is what I'm hearing. There's an interesting fact about the Chromecast thing. I think the latest version of the Chromecast, the latest Chromecast doesn't actually support Stadia. You have to buy the previous version. <laughs> so. Jeez, yeah. I wonder Alex Hutchinson's so angry. Google just doesn't care about anything. They're so disorganized. And maybe that's why this would work out better than Stadia is because Microsoft actually cares. Like they have a decent thing going with Game Pass in general and they might actually, you know, they've shown that they're dedicated to the video game space a little bit. Right. That's the thing about Microsoft if, is it's like they should keep copying Google for certain things. It's like, could you imagine how great a search engine powered by Microsoft would be it, it, <laughs> that would just be like I don't know what to call it like bong I don't know it just sounds like it'd be awesome uh, to have an alternative to Google uh, it, it you know a Microsoft search engine wouldn't be as bad as something like Bing or something like that so uh, I think that it, where Stadia failed Microsoft can swoop in and save the day by doing everything. I think the interesting part here is, Stephen, didn't you mention that with Stadia, you need to pay the subscription and buy games? Yes. Well, from what I can tell in this article, it just you just have your Xbox Game Pass subscription and you can just play them. So that right there is going to, I think, give this service a bit more of an audience than the Stadia has because you only need to pay your one subscription to have access to the over 100 games that Microsoft advertises when I look at Game Pass. So, there, I mean, that's probably a smarter move right there. Speaking of Game Pass, he also... Again, he's not officially announcing these. He's just sort of like teasing and speculating a little bit. But there's also... He's also talking about doing an Xbox Game Pass Platinum where you would pay, it essentially combines Game Pass and the Xbox All Access package, where you would pay your Xbox Game Pass subscription fee and get immediate access to any new Xbox hardware that comes out. Jeez. Yeah. 
It says it would include free guaranteed access to new Xbox hardware. So I guess it would bypass the need to do a uh, pre-order so you wouldn't have to go, you know, screwing around with the disaster that pre-orders have been lately. So when you say new Xbox hardware, is that just like an update to the console? Like in, like in terms of between Xbox One, One S, and One X? Is it controllers, headsets? Like, or is it just kind of vague right now? It's vague right now. It only says new Xbox hardware. I would have, I mean, Interesting. the consoles definitely, yeah, I don't know, because say they bring out the Elite controller, would, yeah, I don't know if you would get that. That yeah. is a, actually a really good question, I have no idea. I mean, depending on how much it is per month, that would be a really good deal if you could like, hey, you pay this one price per month, and then, oh, the Xbox One X is out and you still have a standard launch day Xbox One, well here, now you can play 4K, like, Jeez. Yeah, the thing is, is a lot of this is just sort of speculation because we sort of got like a vague announcement. I'm waiting for more info to leak. I, I don't know about you guys. I kind of like when things leak a little bit, like, you know, we're, we're, we're finding some information that we're not supposed to have. You guys hear about this certain, I don't know if you, it's it's sort of underground, Pokemon, Sword and Shield, <laughs> uh, early build of that leaked recently. Did you guys hear about that? Yes, I actually have. Wow, what a coincidence. So here's the thing. This leak comes from a 2018 leak after uh, Nintendo's servers were hacked by a somebody. We still don't know who this man is, but all of the recent Giga leaks that have been coming from Nintendo, from, you know, source code of the uh, old DS Pokemon games and so on. Well, this has all been from the same leak that has been gradually released to the public just bit by bit and this is quite a big bit the developer builds for pokemon sword and shield have been leaked i don't know how to access them i, I wouldn't know how to do that because i think that's illegal but thing is people have been posting on social media different assets even gameplay from this development build and a lot of controversial stuff is going on here let me say that because we all remember the big controversy right before the release of sword and shield the fact that not all pokemon are going to be in the games mm -hmm. so we thought okay maybe maybe they cut off like 100 or 200 pokemon no uh they just removed like half of the roster from the game and there was like a entire controversy just about that but in this development build we see that there are Pokemon who aren't in the final game, even after all the uh, DLC has been released. This includes Mega Rayquaza, Arceus, it seems, Dark Arceus, whatever that is. I don't know. I, I haven't played a Pokemon game since Pokemon Black. And Pokemon such as Ekans, Forforu, and Aurorus are present like in the wild. And these Pokemon aren't in the final game. Do we have any uh, Pokemon players in this podcast? Because I haven't played Sword and Shield. Well, I haven't either, but I know... So let's just get to... Let's talk about me. <laughs> I'm, still, okay. I'm still actually upset about the fact that you can't transfer everything over to Sword and Shield. I understand there were people talking about, oh, they would be you know, impossible to do it. It's too hard. It's, it's, there's no point in all of that, but... My, I used to play Pokemon all the time uh, since the Game Boy days all the way up to that. And, you know, I always just wanted to catch them all like the tagline says, but you can't do that in Sword and Shield. And I still haven't. So 
the fact that other Pokemon that were available in the beta or, you know, in the developer build, I mean, that aren't available anymore. That just adds fuel to my anger. You know, however you justify it, I, I'm not happy with it. So, no, I haven't played Sword and Shield and I don't think I'm going to unless someday I'll be able to transfer everything into it. Also, I have to get a Switch. But I know that Jordan plays it. Yeah, Jordan's been playing Pokemon since he was six years old. So, yeah, it, I was in the same boat as you, Eric, and in the same boat as a lot of people when it was announced that there was going to be a significant amount of Pokemon cut where I, it just bothered me. And this kind of bothers me too. I guess I don't know for a fact that these Pokemon didn't replace Pokemon that did make the cut in the developer build and they were just testing out, you know, which Pokemon would fit the best in the region, which ones have the least amount of issue transferring over. Um, I guess I don't know enough about that side of things to really have a hugely strong opinion about it, but it it still bothers me that, that they cut a bunch of Pokemon that people wanted, and then you see those Pokemon in the developer build, and they didn't make it, and then, oh, pay us $30 for a season pass, and you can get some of these Pokemon back. Yeah, lot lot bugs me there. I still I liked Sword and Shield, but I don't like it $90, you know? Yeah. Speaking of leaks, I don't play Pokemon, so I'm going to go take a leak. I'll be back in a second. (laughs) (laughs) The best segue. I'm leaving that one in, okay, just so you know. (laughs) This is going to be in the release version of the podcast. Unlike the Pokemon that are in this game. Yeah, Yeah, you don't don't have to listen to the the developer's build of the Tempcast episode time to get that awesome segue knowing that Stephen's going... All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Tempcast. Be sure to like and subscribe. If you're listening to this on whatever podcast service you're listening to, if it has a rating system, be sure to rate us five stars. It really helps. It really does. I want to thank you all for listening and goodbye. Bye. Cue incredible music. Hey, everybody. What's going on? I'm back. Did I miss anything? Is the show going on? <laughs> Hello. What are we talking about? What's next? Eric, do a segue. <laughs> okay. Hey, everybody. <laughs>